0: So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by FullScale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host today, Matt Watson. Very excited to be joined with Anon from his company, Halo, today. Um, they are doing some really cool stuff with um, automating transportation in Las Vegas. It's a, it's a new startup. They're doing some really super cool stuff, so excited to talk all about that today. Um, reminder that today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by FullSkill.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. FullSkill can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit FullSkill.io to learn more. Anand, welcome to the show, man.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Super pumped to be here.
0: So... You know, my first question for you is, how did you go from software engineer to CEO of a startup? That's my <laughs> favorite journey. I love that journey.
1: I know. It's a wonderful journey. I got I to gotta embrace it every day. Every day is, you always think about that. I'm like, I was just a software engineer before. Now this is wild. People are working for us.
0: <laughs> yeah. How did... So tell us a little bit about your background in that journey. I think it's a super interesting journey. Um, I did the same thing. I went from software developer to you know entrepreneur and CEO, yeah. and always a cool story.
1: Yeah, um, I'm. I come from India originally, born and raised there. Very lower middle class family. I, um, I did my bachelor's computer engineering there. I had a knack for computers. The first time I saw the uh, the two eight six, I knew it. This is it. This is where my life is going to go. And I never ended chasing that journey of, you know, what a computer could do, right? So that took me into England where I did my master's in machine learning way back in the day. I'm going to date myself for your audience here, but 18 years ago. And then uh, that led into another set of whole opening of uh, you know, a different career. I went into a lot of software from there. Obviously, machine learning was not uh, big at all back then. Nobody knew yeah. what to do with it. You know, now my grandma talks about it. So they're they're like, hey, have you heard of this thing called ChatGPT? Yeah. You know, this is all making a huge comeback, right? So I did uh, pretty much everything a software engineer would do. Um, uh, Did that for about 16 years. And I ended up leading a lot of uh, teams and divisions. My primary core of expertise is anywhere with computer vision, machine learning, uh, lots of hardware, and video streaming. Those are kind of my pillars of expertise area where I cornered myself and my interests and. Before starting Halo, I ran Uber's perception teams for their self-driving cars and trucking program. So, very interested in that field because I personally wanted to make a big climate impact. That is, you know, if we think about transportation, uh, majority of emissions are under transportation is coming from private cars. Okay, that is forty-one percent of all transportation-based carbon emissions coming from private cars. What if we can change that to all electric? That was my vision. That was the idea. But then the problem is we simply can't make enough electric cars just like the traditional gasoline cars. We just can't even manufacture it. We don't have enough infrastructure to mine the lithium that's required to make the 280 million cars that are there yeah. in the U.S. So then I was like, how? if that's the case, and how do we transition the world away? Then it turned, dawned on me that it's just car ownership is the problem. We have to completely re- rethink the notion of car as its, its current form of how do you get access to a vehicle to make the world move away from it. That idea was where I said, okay, fine, I need to leave Uber now. I need to go find a way to move the world away from gasoline cars to all electric. That's the journey that brought me to where I'm at at the moment.
0: So when you were at Uber, you were working on some similar computer vision, like autonomous vehicle stuff at Uber as well?
1: Uber is very different than what we're doing. Uber, what we did was full autonomy. That is level Mm -hmm. four, level five, right? The car will have to do everything by itself. The difficulty with that is it's an incredibly hard challenge to solve. Oh, yeah. You're trying to make a car think by itself. It's basically an AGI for the car, right? It's basically generative intelligence for the car you have to unlock to overcome all the random edge cases the car is going to see like a human. So it was incredibly hard, incredibly, incredibly hard. So then that's when I decided, okay, this is not the mission that I want to solve my life with. I don't want to use my entire life for this. It's going to take 30 years. But my vision is how do we transition the world away from gasoline to electric? All I want to do is get a car to a customer, an EV to a customer, let them drive. It's fully charged. Let them drive how much they want. When they're done, they don't park. We spend 20 minutes average to park a car. Today, right? Why not give the time back to the customer? So they drive the car wherever they want, drop it, walk away, the car is gone. And while all I wanted to solve was the logistics of getting a car to a customer and getting the car away from a customer. If I can solve that without somebody inside the car, everybody wanted to use the car. Right.
0: And so you're doing that by remote piloting Correct. the cars. That's exactly which, right. Which is, is super cool. So have you figured out um all the you know the ratios of like how many people you need to to pilot the cars and and figured out the whole business model of that and yeah. and and yeah. how to scale that have you figured that out
1: hundred percent so we we've been working at this for the last four years right oh so wow majority was r and d massive r and d engineering that were unlocked the i p that is required unlocked will filed several patents to get it actually done, so to a point where we will be the first in the world to commercialize this. Okay. We got the first ever permit. Any government entity has ever designed a permit like this. We drafted it with the uh, DMV of Nevada and got it passed here in the state of Nevada. Okay. So we will be the first ones to launch this in just uh, very, very shortly. In the summer, we'll be launching this fully commercial, a fleet of cars. that will be fully unmanned, but remotely driven on public roads with actual paying customers. So I
0: thought I thought I read you guys were already doing this in Las Vegas today.
1: Yeah, we're doing that manually. That is, when you come to Halo.Car and request a car, one of our agents is sitting in the car and okay, driving okay. it to you to okay. deliver the car to you. Once okay. the car is delivered, it's exactly the same experience as the customer. It doesn't matter whether somebody's sitting in in there or not. Right? Okay. Where it becomes a difference is for us, the cost of operations comes down drastically when yeah. we remove the person out of the car. Right? Okay, That's a big unlock for us.
0: And so, did I see online that you charge $12 an hour? Is that what, what do you charge the, the the consumer?
1: Yeah, $12 an hour or a flat rate per day. Uh, there are two types of vehicles that we should offer the customer a Kia Nero and a Chevy Bolt. So, they can come in anytime, they can request it. Just They don't need to download anything. They just go to Halo.Car and boom, they can book a car.
0: Well, $12 an hour is a lot cheaper than just an, an Uber ride. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. I mean, I've been to Las Vegas a lot of times, and it seems like it's $15, 20 minimum just to get around the strip from one hotel to another, right?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. If you think about Uber, it's very interesting. The economics for that is very difficult to crack, right? You think about it, the biggest cost of Uber operations is a driver in the car. They have to pay the driver that $80 to $24 an hour.
0: Yeah, but, but Uber takes most of the revenue, yes. <laughs> not the yeah. driver. So it's like... I feel like the problem exactly. with that model is actually Uber.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely agree. I mean, that's the, 100% agreed, right? But if you think about why they're not profitable is because they have to take so much money out of yeah. their revenue, and they have to pump it back into the market to make it a big incentive for the drivers to come back. Because when the drivers realize they don't make actual good money, they make yeah. less than minimum wage, they all start leaving. So now what Uber has to do is push a lot more promotion, saying, hey, weekly targets you want to hit, these kind of bonuses you need to hit, these kind of targets if you hit, you'll get this this kind of reward. They have to pump all those money back into marketing and ops to keep the drivers coming back. That's the biggest difficulty that Uber is facing,
0: right? Yeah. So to remotely pilot the cars, do you have to do a lot of modification to them or is it just adding a couple cameras on the front or how much customization do you have to do to the car?
1: We do a little bit of work, not massive, but definitely quite a bit of work. If you think about it, we have six cameras we integrate into the car, multiple computes that we do. Everything that we engineer in the car is redundant, right? Okay. one fails, there's always a failover that takes over. And if that fails, another one that takes over. We have all the networks in the car. It uses T-Mobile, AT&T, Verizon. Everything connects in the vehicle at all times. And that's how we make, like, incredible connection to the vehicle. Then then comes lots of low-level circuitry that we've engineered into the car to give full vertical access, that is steering, throttle, braking, turn mm. signals, lights, horn, every single thing that you would do inside the car, we have done it fully remote.
0: So did Kia and GM already allow that, or did you have to work nope. with them to custom do a bunch of stuff?
1: At the moment, we do not work with any OEMs. We engineered it all in-house.
0: Okay. So
1: we did... own RIP end-to-end.
0: Well, so then how did you... I mean, do the cars have some kind of APIs that allow you to do that stuff? Nope. Or like, how do you nope. how do you get access to that? <laughs> we
1: have to go super low level as a vehicle and understand how everything operates ourselves.
0: So you, ha- you had to hack the car.
1: Pretty much, yes. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Well, that's and then pretty
1: cool. Not, not only get access to it, but now you have to commercialize it. You have to productionize it, harden it, make it extremely reliable. Right. And work in these crazy heat conditions here. <laughs>
0: Yeah, because the last thing you want is a a car driving 70 miles an hour remote and then all of a sudden it just stops.
1: <laughs> you don't want that to stop at any time, you know? Yeah. That would be pretty bad. Yeah. Also, we don't drive at 70 miles an hour remotely. We limit ourselves to twenty-five miles an hour when we remotely drive the car.
0: Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Well, so the so is your vision to have all of the drivers like in the same city or or is your goal to have drivers that are like offshore somewhere so their salaries are a lot lower to achieve this? Or what is? how do you think that's going to work?
1: Yeah, I think uh, the way we think about the business is there's enough margins to make when you remove the driver out of the car. Mm-hmm. That could be split and shared quite comfortably. Our vision is to employ you know remote pilots here in the US inside okay. this, in the country to allow them to drive. That allows us a few things. Number one is It obviously helps in bringing the latency down as close as possible to if you keep the remote pilot as close as possible to the actual deployment. It definitely helps bring the latency down. Number two is you can build our own infrastructure to make sure security is super high, safety is super, super high. Number three is we have the control on training our remote pilots to be as safe as possible and follow our internal guidelines and process and protocol, right? That helps a lot. And then other another big one is cities love it. They all love creating jobs. And when we right. create jobs, we get a right of way to come in and help them draft new policies, new safety protocol in place, and get even better at you know something what, like what we're doing.
0: So is your goal to have all the remote pilots in the same urban area as the as the cars?
1: At the moment, yes. They are in the same cities as our deployment. In the future, that might change a little bit. It might be per quadrant of the country. We might have them... In that quadrant, might change strategies in the future. But for now, we only have one city that we would deploy, yeah. only Las Vegas. So all of our pilots are here. Yeah, yeah. That's it, right?
0: We have the same issue for the redundancy of the pilot, too, right? Like yeah. they have to have super redundant internet and electricity and all that kind of stuff,
1: too. 100%. I mean, so if you think about it, all of our inspiration came from avionics or aviation, mm-hmm. right? Or in aerospace, where you don't have a backup You don't have an option to fail. You have to make it work. Yeah. So they go redundancy. So if you think about an aircraft that has seven different tiers of redundancies, right. To make sure it always is on the sky, right. Very similar to us. uh, We've made sure that when the car is remotely piloted, they always have a connection, whether it's in the car, it's redundant or when they're inside our building, every possible internet connection is redundant. The stack is redundant. The power is redundant. There's multiple sources of power that comes into the actual workstations. So all that is made sure to be redundant. So when they're driving a the car, they can always drive the car, no matter what happens around them.
0: <laughs> well, so that that's interesting, though, because that prevents you from having employees work from home and do this, right? Like they can't roll out of bed and like, oh, they need me to go pilot this. I got to take this drunk dude home from the club in Vegas, <laughs> right? Like. You, yeah. they have to be in your office, right? So you got to yeah. have like a whole call center sort of yep. office center of people that are sitting around waiting to do this yeah, with all 100%. the equipment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about it this way, right? So it's, it's a really positive thing because a, a life of an Uber driver, they have to sit in the car all day long, heat, whatever weird conditions, and they have, they have to take crazy passengers all the time, mm-hmm. right? They don't want to be talking to everybody. They don't want to just be in their car, putting miles in their own car. Yeah. In this case, they're coming for a desk job. Right. Nine to five with good perks. They have snacks, lunch, everything's there. They just do that job and then they go home and ha- spend time with family. Yeah.
0: So what what does it cost to, you mentioned you could rent the car for the whole day. Mm-hmm. What does it cost to rent for the whole day?
1: Yeah, about $80 plus insurance okay. and taxes.
0: So it's it's going to be cheaper to sleep in the back of the car than the hotel.
1: <laughs> Possibly, yeah. <laughs> Depends on which city, though. <laughs>
0: in San Francisco, it's going to be way cheaper.
1: Oh, San Francisco is going to be way cheaper. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Maybe we should give a tent as well. In San Francisco, <laughs> <laughs> it comes with the car.
0: Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny, but it's not really funny. Yeah, so that's the world we live in.
1: That's well, the world we live in.
0: I do want to remind everybody that finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit FullScale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use FullScale to define the technical needs that you have and see what developers are available to join your team today. Visit FullScale.io to learn more. So Anon, building this software must have been super complicated. Um, were you still involved in the engineering part of it, or have you been able to be the CEO and, and hire a team that's done all the work, or do you still find your hands in the code?
1: Well, um, I do not find my hands in the card code at all. And luckily, we've got incredible talent that's way smarter than me to come join the company to build all, all right. that for us. So that's lucky. But uh, I do run the product and overall engineering every day. That's my core expertise. That's my core talent. So I do that every single day. I've filled in gaps with other people that I joined the company to take over marketing, operations, and all that kind of stuff. So we've brought in experts in the industry. Some of our testing operations folks come from this industry for 25 years of testing actual vehicles. They've built for OEMs and tested for OEMs. They come in and do all of our operations and testing. Uh, instead of me being part of that, right? So that's the whole point. The experts that we hired came in and took over so I can focus on the product engineering really heavily.
0: So would you say you're also the CTO?
1: Yes, I am also the CTO and the CPO at the moment.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's where I've been recently. You know, I've been the CEO, but still the CTO, right? It's like, that's a... That would be a difficult thing, I think, to hire a CTO because I feel like I would potentially micromanage them, right? Because it's like my expertise. So yeah. you'd have to hire somebody that you trust unequivocally more than yourself almost to yeah. do it. Like it's yeah. it be a hard hire, I feel like.
1: It's an extremely hard hire. If you think about it, they not only have to be very, very strong in engineering and uh, and like also tech itself, but they have to be very strong in vision. Yeah, I mean, think about us. We've been thinking about this for years. I've been thinking about this for four plus years. So I've developed so much intricacy in, in how I want this product to be built and engineered. Right. right, A brand new person to come into the company and take over all of engineering and execute at the way that we want to execute is extremely difficult. Another another thing, reason why I'm kind of reserving that for myself is uh, as a hardware company, it is extremely difficult to build um, a... a vehicle like this for the resources that we ever have. We don't want to burn too much money. We have to be right. extremely careful about how we burn money, extremely careful about how we dedicate resources to improving and creating the IP. So not every CTO quote-unquote that you want to hire might have the same m- mindset as sure. like come in with limited resources and make a big impact. That's a really difficult you know, skill to have and develop. And luckily me coming from a very Uh, You know, lower middle class background, I can see the value of money, value of every dollar that we spend that has to have a much bigger ROI, right? So that mindset is also very difficult to find in engineering talent.
0: So, as going from an engineering manager to a CEO, what, just curious, what are you, what have been the biggest struggles for you? I mean, you know, you, you hired a, a chief operating officer or somebody to kind of help run all the things that are not your expertise or what, yeah. I'm curious, like what what has been that journey for you and the struggle for you that you've had to learn?
1: Yeah, I've hired one of incredible uh, CSO, chief strategy officer. She was ex-VC, um, ran deep tech fund in the past. She left that to come join us. Um, she's running a whole bunch of the operations in the marketing side, customer acquisition, customer strategy, how should we uh, approach getting new customers in because we're a direct consumer product? What are the strategies that we need to take there to ramp up our revenue? The other one is also, she's also my ally for fundraising. So we do fundraising together because fundraising is a really difficult challenge, specifically when it comes to hardware companies. Sure, so It's just not easy. It's not a SaaS company, right? Specifically in this market, right? It's an extremely difficult uh, endeavor to take. Just being one person is extremely difficult. There's so many intricacies in terms of running a process. So it's super helpful to have someone who's done this before, who comes from the other side of the table to be on our side so we can actually see through emails. When 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 investors say something in email, that's not what they actually mean. It's completely different. <laughs> so how do you decipher that? How do you understand what they're looking for? How do you cater to that is a very different skill.
0: Um, so I'm curious, what, um, did it make you nervous at first going from engineering manager to CEO? Uh,
1: yeah, a hundred percent. Um, the challenge yeah. is like
0: a lot of, a lot of imposter syndrome there of like, can I do this? Am I the right guy for the job? Like, what am I doing? Like, I'm just, I'm just curious.
1: I mean, luckily, uh, my first job was, uh, I was 23 when I, when I took the first management kind of position where I joined as an engineer. And I ran a team of fifty people. Nice. Like so, I just got very early exposure to management, right? And I clearly knew that's where my strength is. Combining the engineering prowess and people skills is a very important merge for me, right? Yeah. Uh, but though that mindset to now is very different in a bigger organization. You have a lot of resources to support you as an engineering manager. You have an HR team, you have a finance team, you have a payroll team, you have, you know, all these kind of teams to help you mitigate problems. But in a young company, you're everything. Yeah. You're the HR person. <laughs> you're, the, you're, the, yeah. you, you're the you know finance person, you have to look at the burn, you have to look at the bookkeeping. Not only that, you have to make sure all the toilets don't get clogged. Oh yeah. <laughs> you have to do everything. <laughs> That's, that's, that's also what makes
0: challenge. it. That's what also makes it fun because, yeah, you know, working in a corporate environment for me is sort of hell because it's like everywhere you look, there's obstacles. Like hmm. we can't do this because of that, or this is the way we've always done it, or this person's got to help, and blah blah yeah. blah. And it's like there's just all these obstacles everywhere that slows everything down. And and that's the great thing about early stage startups. Is like yeah. the only obstacle is you, so that's you can move hard. as fast as possible. And uh oh, your car's back. Your ride's there. I'm getting Um, you know, you're that's the great thing about startups, right? Is you you can move very fast and you don't have all that kind of those obstacles of the corporate environment, like working at Uber or someplace. or so are like, oh, you can't do this because of this, because of that, or whatever. And, um, it's freeing to just kind of go do all those things. But it's also super scary because you don't have those guardrails or people to help you. Like you just have to figure the shit out.
1: Yeah, 100%. So like, uh, for instance, one of the things that we have to do, and this is something that I learned in this venture, is how do you define a goal for a quarter? How do you define a goal that's not too ambitious, that's attainable, but at the same time pushing people beyond their comfort zone, Yeah. right? That is a, inc- it sounds simple, but it's so difficult to land it properly where not only the team are able to hit it, but, but at the same time, they are just pushing them out of the comfort zone to push that extra last mile to make sure it's getting delivered. So yeah. the goal is set that way. It's, and it doesn't kill the company at the same time because if we don't hit the milestones at the right time, we're going to run out of money, right? Right. So that's the biggest difficulty in understanding all these kind of leverage livers and make sure our our goals are set properly for every quarter. That's been a very difficult challenge.
0: Well, and it's hard to cross different departments, right? Trying to do that for an engineering team is totally different than a marketing team or yes. a sales team or what have you. So it's, yeah. it's difficult yeah. to motivate all these different people in different ways. Yeah. Too.
1: yeah. Man, people management is extremely difficult. It's one of the most time-consuming thing that is, you know, ever, ever done, right? But then the interesting thing happens uh, once you unlock this alignment, once you have a very clear alignment of what the yearly goal is for the company and what is a quarterly goal for the company and what your KPIs are and the OKRs are, then it becomes extremely clear that gets pushed down to the entire organization and then their respective goals can be set for the individual team from the overall goal that is set for that quarter. That becomes extremely easy. And anytime there's a misalignment, we always go back to this. What's the goal for the quarter? This is it. This is what we're going to hit. These are the things that are required. So that becomes extremely easy to align. But also, it's also a deficit, right? It's like double-edged sword. If we don't set the goal properly, yeah, if it's too ambitious, everybody's going to chase a ghost. It's incredibly hard to land a very, very good product if the milestones are not set right.
0: Well, I think one of the other keys to those goals is then when in, when anybody else has any other idea or project they want to do, you ask, yeah. like, does it serve that goal? Like, is this an opportunity? Is it a distraction? Is it help us towards the goal of what we're trying to achieve? Or do we say no? Right? Like, it it helps you force that saying no as well a lot easier. Yeah.
1: I mean, uh, it's interesting. It's, I have to say no about 95% of the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, so, so difficult to say no. And it, it also is sometimes demotivating for the engineers and the team. And, but end of the day, you only have a few bullets to hit the target. Yeah. And you have to set the target right. And you have to make sure you conserve your bullets. You have to prepare, plan, and be dedicated. And focus so hard. Focus is the only way a startup can succeed.
0: So my, I just started a new company. It's called At Capacity. And we do digital nice. marketing. It's uh, basically programmatic Google Ads. And and we're in that same situation of like, who is our target customer? Are we selling to marketing agencies or big franchises or individual home service companies? And, and it's like the product direction and everything changes dramatically based on the, the answer to that, right? And so... Yeah. That's the hard thing. And the fun thing about a startup is you are trying all these different things you're trying to figure out, okay, where do we get the most traction? Which direction do we go? But you can't do all of them because it's, you know, for us, it's like what a big franchise wants versus like an individual plumber wants is different, different things. Like 60% of it might be the same, but the other 40% is wildly different. And <laughs> the, a lot of startups die because they don't say no to one or the other. Right. They, they try to do all these different things. and um that's that's the struggle is saying no
1: <laughs> yeah struggle is the hard part right that's a hard part to say no to lots of people to make sure the company's always on target it's always focused yeah
0: so you, you mentioned your goals earlier so you said your guys's goal to go live with this with paying customers did you say it was like july or was it summer this the summer okay awesome yes and uh I'm going to have to figure out how to get to Las Vegas to try this. I, I yeah, want to come it. down. I want to see it in action. So yeah, absolutely. The, so what what are your guys' goals for like the next 12 months? Do you have a goal of getting to a fleet of 10 cars, 100 cars? Or, or you know, like what what are your goals?
1: Yeah, we're already at 20 cars right now. Okay. Right? So we've hit a pretty decent goal this quarter, right? we want to hit like a bigger number. We did that. Uh, the overall goal for this year is we want to get to about 75 cars. Okay. And fully driverless fully deployed with real paying customers.
0: So if you have 75 cars, how many remote pilots do you need?
1: Uh, It depends on how we gain our customers, all depending on the number of customers. I would say anywhere from uh, 20 to 35 remote pilots that we will need, depending on how well we scale, how good the revenue is, how the utilization of the fleet is, all that kind of matters. But in general, about 25 to 35 uh, remote pilots.
0: So. I have to imagine this is extremely capital intensive for you guys, right? Because you have to buy these cars, customize them, buy all this equipment. Like Even going from 25 to 75 probably seems like a giant mountain to climb,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: From a capital perspective.
1: Yep. Oh, absolutely, yes. The, the interesting thing here is we, we've made sure that we can retrofit the car very successfully for a very low cost. That we've achieved. We achieved that last year, late last year. It was the biggest Q4 milestone for us, right? Then we started driving the cost of that stack down drastically. This first quarter this year and then the second quarter this year, the same milestone is going further and further to a point where we have the target set to what we need to hit to unlock scalability. That will happen late quarter third, right? So what happens then is it's interesting that the world has come up with beautiful financing mechanisms for cars. We've been financing cars for, you know, hundreds of of years, maybe around 100 years, right? So we don't have to worry about financing the cars. We can work with partners. We can work with fleet operators, fleet management companies, and we just stack that fleet and deploy it. So we, as a company, we can still focus on tech. We can focus on tech operations. We're still a tech company, and we don't become a fleet management company. Yeah. So it becomes a very different story to partner up with them in the future.
0: And so when you guys modify the car, when I saw pictures online, it still looks mostly like a totally normal car. It doesn't look like Waymo's cars, which look like some sort of like futuristic thing covered in nothing but equipment. Like They don't even look like a car anymore, right? Like Your car still <laughs> just looks like a normal car.
1: Yeah, that's another mission of the company too, right? To elegance and the, the graceful nature of a factory vehicle should not be lost. Yeah. We retain that as much as possible. The way we integrate our sensors should be very non-intrusive, very lean, easy. In fact, we want to retain the resale value of the car too. Yeah,
0: yeah, I was going to say, that's a big one. It's a huge one,
1: right? So if we, if we cut too many cables, we drill holes in the car, we lose resale value. So we don't do any of that.
0: Nobody's going to buy one of those Waymo yeah. cars. no ain't gonna happen
1: not gonna happen they can't resell that they have to make the money back the unfortunate reality of autonomous cars is so expensive to build one autonomous car with all those sensors so the payback period for them is far beyond the actual lifetime of the car so how do they expect to become profitable is a big question mark in my opinion
0: i'm sure a common question you get though is how does, how does it impact your business model when eventually, if they figure out how to do fully autonomous cars, though?
1: Yeah. So let's think about it for a second, right? Our premise, the whole reasoning why I started the company is I, we're strongly thesis that autonomous cars are not going to happen anytime in the next five, 10 years. That's, that's it, right? So 10 years is when well, I'm thinking, my background, my research says that 10 years is when they can start becoming commercial. Which means now they have to focus on adopting as many rides as possible to make a profitable venture out of it. That's going to take them another 15 years to drive the cost down to a moment okay. where they're a profitable venture, right? So they're 25 years, in my opinion, behind. Okay. The way I operate as Halo, is or our fleet operates, is we get to revenue literally right away. We are, We have revenue right now. We have customers that are paying it right now we have a clear path for profitability in the next year, right? Which means that payback fares for our cars are already paid back. It's not going to take us 25 years. Plus, by the time they get to a commercial deployment in 10 years, we have a massive fleet. We're such a big company that either we can just work with them or we're going to be building our own autonomy on, in parallel anyway. That's going to make us even better, improve the capabilities of a remote pilot Think of it as a exoskeleton for industrial workers. If you add autonomy on top of humans, capabilities improve. Their efficiency improve. Their throughput improves. They can now drive in areas where they couldn't drive before. So all these kind of new things unlock.
0: Do you, I'm sure you, I'm, we talked earlier about saying no and, and all the different opportunities. But along the way of all this, have you also thought about using the the remote piloting for other types of vehicles, you know, be it on a military base or a forklift or a train or boats or all sorts of other things. Like, have you guys looked at applying this to other fields as well?
1: We definitely thought about it, but definitely said no. Said no, okay. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's because it's just, you never know what the can of worms you'd, you'd open when you try a new use case. The, the crazy part about military is, you have to upfront commit before you can actually build something, right? That's the biggest difficulty for the military and DOD is you just have to make a massive upfront investment. And then when we start engineering and all these integration to different vehicle form factors, we've seen so much unknowns before and we don't want to even touch that at the moment. That's just way too complex. That's going to deviate us massively from our existing goal. So yeah. we've thought about it, but never really went to do it.
0: So do you guys see uh do you guys have any goals for getting outside of Las Vegas?
1: Not just yet. This Not year yet. only Vegas, just focus hyper target, hyper focus on just one city, one state. Get to the deployment that works, scale it, reduce the cost of operations down, have a path for profitability, then create a playbook and go to other states.
0: So did I see on your website that You support all of Las Vegas or it looks like there was a couple areas that you do or don't support.
1: Yeah. So all of Las Vegas is manual. That is when you come into, say, someone and request a car, we will come and deliver a car to you with someone sitting inside the car. They will drive it manually. But where we're launching full driverless is first zone. It's all zone based, about Uh 1.2 square miles based in downtown region, downtown Las Vegas. That's where we're launching the first zone of operations that is fully driverless. And that will happen sometime this summer.
0: Is that where Fremont Experience and the Golden Nugget Virtuous. is? And all that yeah, stuff? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. yeah. Arts District. Okay. Yeah. It's very nice. You should come check it out.
0: Yeah, I've been there before. I, I even did the, um, the, 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 no, what's it zip called? Line. The Zipline. Yeah, I even Man. did the Zipline once. So, yeah. I got the full experience. <laughs> hey, you got I the probably... Fremont Experience. Yeah, I even got pictures with the fake Spider-Man and Mickey Mouse, I'm sure. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: Um, but I saw I thought I saw on the map here there's a red area. Is there a certain area you guys don't do at all?
1: Not in the airport. That's it.
0: Oh, the airport. Okay, cool. So, you won't be able to do airport pickups. Not yet. Okay. That requires a whole separate like uh licensing, not anything accuracy. else. Yeah. Oh, the government is awesome, aren't they? <laughs>
1: Well, sometimes they're great. Sometimes it's tough. Um, so we have to face what we have to face. And we took a oath in the company saying that we're going to do everything right by the book. So that's why it's a red zone. Otherwise yeah. it would be a green zone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I watched the, um, I think it was on Showtime. It was a story about Uber. I can't remember what it was called now. Uh, yeah. it was super fascinating, you know, all their legal battles with the city. Super, and all pumped. That. super pumped, yeah, that's yeah. a great show,
1: yeah.
0: Um, very fascinating, yeah. But, uh, um, if you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, full scale can help. We have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit fullscale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and let our pl- platform match you up with our team of fully experienced embedded engineers at fullscale we specialize in building long term teams that work only for you learn more when you visit fullscale.io so as we wrap up the show today i'm curious if you have any any other words of wisdom for other entrepreneurs out there and i would say especially software developers are like hey can i be a ceo of a company you know can i make that leap can i you know can i go from engineering manager i have a product vision go be a founder be a ceo making that leap do you have any words of wisdom
1: if you never try you will never know there you go so just go do it <laughs> we all <laughs> you, you can always get a job
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i think i think the key to it what i would always tell people is whoever has the real company vision for what you're doing needs to be the ceo right the, the whoever ceo needs to have the company vision and you can always hire people around them to do the things they're not an expert at right and so at my last company, i I was in charge of kind of like you. I was in, I was in charge of the technology and marketing because I'm I have really a knack for marketing too. Nice, but yeah, like sales and support. Our chief operating officer ran all of that, and so it was a good mix, right? It's so I think the key is just surrounding yourself with the the weaknesses you have and yes. and being real about that and. And then over time you learn a lot. I'm sure you've changed yeah. and learned a lot over the last 4 years oh, since being man. a CEO as well, right? Yes.
1: Oh my god, so much I've learned in the last 3 months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Well, Absolutely. thank you so much for for being on the show today. Again, this was Nanda Kumar and his his company is Halo. It's uh halo.car. Um Check, check them out. And if you make it to Las Vegas, definitely uh, check out, try and rent one of your cars this summer. So that's going to be awesome.
1: That'd be fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Matt. Uh, nice talking to you.
0: All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Startup hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.
1: No one can do it like we do it, like we do it like we do it. Cause no one can do it, like go we do it, like go we do it like we do it. Cause no one can do it, like we do it, like we do it like we do it. Cause no one can do it, like we do it, like we do it like we do it.